Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Smoky Mountain Mike. And I'm the bad guy, Razor Shaman. <laughs> Welcome to episode 100, SummerSlam 1993. Fat, Fat chance. chance! Somebody has to stop him. 100. Uh, someone, yeah. someone does. Someone has to stop him. Nobody lives for episodes. How is that? I don't know. I can't believe it. <laughs> Crazy. I was literally having this conversation <laughs> with someone the other day. I was just like, I did a podcast before I did this one. We went 104 episodes, and it felt like the longest two years of my entire life. <laughs> so you weren't enjoying yourself is what you're saying? Uh, after probably about episode 50. No, not really. And I just kept doing it because the other person wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. But this one... Has just flown by for me. I mean, it's flown by for me as well. Uh, and I enjoy meeting up with my friends. Same. Definitely. Having a having a sandwich, mm-hmm. having a drink. Yes. Talking talking about something that I love. Yeah, same. lazy Sunday into a uh, even lazier Sunday here, talking about wrestling, talking barely about lifting wrestling, our arms, watching, love, talking shit on people we hate, <laughs> watching shows that I've never watched before. Oh yeah. And so. I'm getting to see stuff that you know, and to be uh, to your to your credit, Matt, uh, this show would. If I had to do the work that you put into this show, I don't know that would have got past fifteen episodes. Yes. So uh, you are, you are the. Uh, I wouldn't say anchor because anchors keep things in one place. You are the uh, double propeller engine on the Cessna that is uh, this wrestling show. Damn. I don't know if a Cessna has two engines. I think it's just one. But I don't know a whole lot about airplanes. Maybe I'll have to call my dad. Watch the show Wings. They've mm. got a Cessna on there. I'm just trying to remember if it's a, a front propeller on the tip or if it has the twin engines yeah. on the sides. I'm such a lazy piece of shit that when I was a kid, <laughs> I would wake up too late for Saturday morning cartoons and catch Wings and then just go outside instead of watching Wings. Because <laughs> they always played Wings like after Saturday morning, like Fox cartoons. Wings was great. Yeah. Maybe I'll get to Wings one, one day. <laughs> it seems like it's always in a hangar. Right after Cheers and Perfect Strangers. Yeah. Yes. So in Before Frasier. In a deck. I've, I've watched Frasier okay. multiple times. So you're just totally out of I'm a you Seinfeld. You like the Star Wars order of things. Seinfeld, Frasier, King of the Hill, probably three favorite sitcoms. King of the Hill counts. It does. So this was the sixth annual SummerSlam produced by the WWF. It would take place on August 30th, 1993 at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Auburn Hills, Michigan. With an attendance of 23,954 people. Can I get a goddamn? Goddamn. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. I think it's the most people that have been at a wrestling show that hasn't been a WrestleMania or a Tokyo Dome show. Yeah, yeah. In Tokyo Dome, it's like, it's a different thing. It's like we're in Tokyo. Well, I mean, you know, they set the original attendance record for... WrestleMania three in Michigan, so we know they love their wrestling there. Yes, and it seems like it's not a place we often go back to. But I was surprised; it was like twenty three, and 
20, 23,000 people. Almost 24. Just a few short. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. If you count Pritchard and uh, everybody in the back, you know. That's Pritchard counts of, as two guys, right? That's a lot of Michiganians. Is that... Is that the appropriate term? Michiganians. Michiganians. Uh, I think I think we just call them Steiners. Michigans. Yeah. Is it like Oklahoman? So it'd be Nebraskan or Michigan. Michigans. No, Michi- that's not I right. think it's Michiganians. Michiganians. Well, I don't know. but enough about what we don't know. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about something that we do know about, and that's Shane talking to us about some food or Sh- beverage. Shane likes to talk about food and beverage. Michigan. Yes, this is my first Michigan show, and had to come up with something to uh, fulfill my culinary trip around the globe. Looked it up on the uh, the interwebs to see what the official sandwich or some signature foods for Michigan was, and the thing that popped out the most was the Reuben. And since we had just done the the cod Reuben a couple episodes ago, I have figured. We, have we done a, a no? We did a corn. Beef. I don't think we've done an official Reuben, have we? No. Okay. No official Reuben yet. But yeah, so I looked it up and figured we've had a lot of food the last couple shows. We need a beverage. And apparently the signature drink of Michigan is the Hummer. Never heard of this one before. No. I've, I've heard of Hummers in you know, many other forms, whether mm-hmm. they be vehicle or... Uh, sex fun, acts? Yeah, like fun <laughs> social activities. Sure, we'll go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did not know there was a, an actual drink called the Hummer. But yeah, it is a uh, little blended frozen drink. We've got some vanilla ice cream, some Bacardi light rum, some Kahlua, and then some crushed ice. Blend it all together. It's alcohol milkshakey goodness. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, drink it too fast and it may... If you like Kahlua, you're going to like this drink. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember when I was a kid, like, my mom wasn't ever a heavy drinker, but if she had, like, a friend over, they'd, like, have a Kahlua and milk. And my mom never even added, like, the hard liquor. It was just, like, legitimate Kahlua and milk. So it always looked like chocolate milk. And as a kid, I always wanted to try it because it looks like chocolate milk. Who doesn't like chocolate milk? Exactly. And this is very much a, like, richer Kahlua and milk, but we got some rum here. Like, the only thing I would add to it differently, if I were to make another one, I might get some Yoohoo and just add, like, a splash of it. Oh, yeah. See, when I looked it up, um, I thought it said coffee ice cream. Well, there's different recipes. You okay. can do ones with coffee ice cream. Coffee ice cream sounds pretty, uh, yeah, I didn't, like, even extra rich. I didn't see that recipe first. I just went the simple route because... Yeah. This does still have a light coffee flavor from the Kahlua. The Kahlua adds, you know, the, the Kahlua adds a good coffee kick. The rum blends in, so it's, you know, you yeah. can taste the alcohol, but you can't, like, super taste the alcohol. Yeah, it's not overwhelming. I'm not, like, I'm not a milk and booze guy, but... Oh, see, I am. The I'm, time, like, for its... If you're at a Colorado Bulldog... That was my first... Oh. Uh, my first ever alcoholic drink that I made for myself was the Bulldog. Which and is just I, a white Russian with a splash of Coke, which sounds disgusting, but for some reason, mm-hmm. it's great. I spent St. Patrick's Day one year going around annoying bartenders because everybody wanted green beer. I wanted green Russians, so oh, gross. they made me green Russians. Add a little food coloring to my white uh, Russian. Why did you get a, Russian? a red Russian? Because it was St. Patrick's Day. I know, but you know. Well, while we're enjoying these wonderful drinks, something that happened right around the same time as SummerSlam 93 
Garth Brooks would release his sixth album, In Pieces, which would go platinum ten times over. Jesus. Oh, Garth. That album contains songs such as Ain't Going Down, Till the Sun Comes Up, mm-hmm. Callin' Baton Rouge, Operator, and Standing Outside the Fire. Yeah. Right. Baton yes. Rouge is kind of the only one that's striking my memory. But Garth Brooks was impossible to, like not be aware of when I was a kid in the 90s, but I did not grow up with any country music in my home at all, so it was all very tangential. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know the big, big hits, but even though if these three were big hits and this went 10 times platinum, I only know Baton Rouge. And I if I've heard these I other songs, you know the I've other heard them, but they're not the ones that I think of. Like, I don't, those aren't the choruses that pop in my head. This album also has one of my karaoke go-tos. Love me some Garth anyways, but uh, One Night a Day, a lot of people don't know it, but it's just a That is a an slow, interesting choice for a karaoke bluesy song. song. Yeah, it's I one know. that I, I used to do, and it would shut everybody up in the room because they knew they recognized the song, but they were trying to figure it out, and then that's when I would reel them in. And yeah, that's during my I Want to Be an Aspiring Country Music uh, Singer. Oh, yeah. It makes phase. me... The song title makes me think of... Uh, I don't know who wrote the song, but I know it from Charlie Lubin, but Once a Day... Every day, all day long. One of my favorite country songs. I don't know who actually wrote it. I don't think he wrote it, but that's what popped in my head. Oh, this one also has the American Honky Tonk Bar Association on it. It does, indeed. Yeah, there's lots of good songs. The Red there, Strokes. There are quite a few good songs on this album. Yeah, I've never deep dove on Garth. I'm sure that I would enjoy quite a bit of it. Garth, I mean, he's, a, he's an entertainer. He pissed yeah. off the country music world a lot because he changed a lot of things... But they are always mad at each other. Oh yeah. Whether it's you know people, you know Buck Owens yelling at the right. at, the, at Nashville for getting too like clean. Uh, it's, there's, it's they're a very contentious group. Yeah. If you've never seen Garth in concert, I highly recommend it. I mean, I haven't seen him in concert since like 1997 or whatever year it was. But yeah, well, funny. I can only imagine he's he puts the, on as much of a kick-ass the... show now. He did those double double shows a couple of years ago here in Oklahoma City and. I think the second one there was some issues, so it didn't start until like midnight, and he still did like three hours, which is crazy in Oklahoma City. That like they, like it started late, and he still did the full show. It's like that's wild. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the ones that I've never seen in concert that I've always been like, okay, I gotta I gotta see him in concert. I would go, but I just don't know that I would have it in me at this point in my familiarity to cough up the cash, and it's not like. Oh, I can't yeah, afford it. It's just like, is it? Cheap. Yeah, it's like, it's like. Well, I've seen some of my favorite shows I've ever been to cost five dollars. Like, I don't know that I can truly spend like you know three hundred on a Garth ticket. It's worth it. Just price. because big it's, ticket, I mean, it's an ticket. all around, all around show. It's not just you know a lot of your. See, like my three hour show would be like seeing Bruce. Uh, see, I couldn't do that. Yeah, but. I need lots of long neck bottles. And... <laughs> oh, I mean, there's gonna be plenty of them. <laughs> Would be some of the girls' books, true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, B double yeah. E double R U N. Well, let's go ahead and head off to SummerSlam. We see the Lex Express pulling into the arena after crisscrossing the country with a horde of fans welcoming Lex Luger. Flags, Horse. flags everywhere. Logo comes on the screen with Vince McMahon welcoming us to the show. Welcome to SummerSlam. Bobby the Brain Heenan joins Vince as our announcers for the evening. So many flags. And they preview the matches of the show before heading off to our first match. 
Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus Razor Ramon. And the story behind this match was that Million Dollar Man had made fun of Ramon for losing a couple of matches to 1-2-3-Kid, even going as far as challenging the kid to a match to prove he was the better man. But Razor would distract DiBiase during that match, allowing 1-2-3 to make the cover. The kid is just pinning left and right. That's right. A man that should have had the belt, a man that should be the face of the company. <laughs> like, and uh, here's the kid just getting over on him. Yeah. So Million Dollar Man attacks from behind before the bell, laying it in with chops, only for Razor to retaliate with a back body drop and a fallaway Sam that sends DiBiase outside. Razor doesn't even have his vest off yet. Straight for the attack and oh, took yeah. him down before he could divest. Back in the ring, Razor with multiple clotheslines to send Million Dollar Man over the top rope to the floor. The bad guy slingshots DiBiase back into the ring, and Million Dollar Man begins to bag off Ramon, only to pull him headfirst into the turnbuckle to gain control. I love that Bobby calls Ramon a Desi Arnaz impersonator. For all you you Lucy fans out there. (laughs) That's right. DiBiase starts using variety of chokes to wear down Razor, a back elbow, a backbreaker for two, clothesline and another two count for Million Dollar Man follows with a snapmare, and locks on a sleeper. But Ramon fires up to escape, only to receive a knee to the gut to stop his momentum. See, it was around this time that I was, like, looking around the screen and just appreciating, I don't know, just the look of everything, how bright and colorful it was and how crisp the setting was. I mean, just the... beautiful setup, huge arena. Yeah, huge arena. The, the colors popping all over the place. And I think it was because, pink and yellow. It looks great. I think it was because after watching the ECW show and the ECW show, it was, you know, all of those were, you know, different quality. And then you have the big dogs that come in and, you know, yeah, this looks on big and alive. Yeah, but I we mean, also have a feud that we're invested in right yeah. to start the show. But even just the, I mean, the red, white, and blue ropes and the, the ring apron, uh, just something about it because I watched. The other two shows you know, before this one, it it was all just kind of like, oh, exploding on the, scene, on the screen in a bright, beautiful colors. A swinging neck breaker, vertical suplex. DiBiase goes for the million dollar dream, but Ramon elbows him away, hitting a desperation clothesline to knock them both down. Oh, and I love it. He's already set up the million dollar dream by those chokes. DiBiase with the head slam into the turnbuckle that knocks Razor to the outside. And while the ref is counting Ramon, Million Dollar Man unties a turnbuckle pad. DiBiase drags Razor back in, goes for the head slam into the uncovered turnbuckle, only for Ramon to block and reverse, then hits the Razor's edge for the pin and And the the win. win. So I have some bad news. Oh no. This would be Million Dollar Man's final pay-per-view match. Boo. Just rip my heart out, why don't you? Boo. I'm sorry, guys. It's so crazy how important Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase is to WWF. And he's, you know, you can say he didn't need a title. But he never really got to work very often in a, the way that we know that he can. He was the character above being the wrestler. But we know that he 
can Teamwork, wrestle. Yeah. So it's like so you get those flourishes sometimes, but they seem so few and far between. I mean, good for him. Easier paycheck because mm-hmm. like cutting the promos and all that is obviously easy as hell for him. Oh, it could have been. We then go to Todd Pettengill in the crowd with members of the Steiner family and basically asks if if the uh, brothers broke stuff or if the sisters could ever bring boyfriends home. Uh, and the sister even calls Rick Rob, yeah. uh, breaking kayfabe. Yeah, yeah. I love that uh, Todd asks him something and the crowd's really loud. I don't know if it was the mother or the sister, but they say, Whatever you say, yeah. like whatever, like sure, guy is basically what they're saying. Like, yeah, whatever, man. So we're headed off to our second match: the heavenly bodies of Doctor Tom Pritchard and Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey with Jim Cornette versus the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott for the WWF Tag Team Championship. So the last time we saw Doctor Tom and Jim Cornette was at Super Brawl Three. Episode 87. What had happened, basically, is Cornette's deal. He, he, he's running Smoky Mountain Wrestling. His deal with WCW had lapsed. So he went to Vince, and now WWF is trading talent with SMW. It's great. So good deal for Corny. Yeah, yes. I'm always excited to see Mr. Jim Cornette. Exactly. You get Cornette on the big stage, and... Magic happens. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's... At the least top 10, but potentially top 5 managers of all time. Yes. Top 3, sir. That's how I feel, but some people hate the man. Ah. But, like, he's pretty undeniable, and also there's people before his him. His manager work and his personal personal decisions are Yeah, two different things. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, like, I'm not super familiar with, like, Blassie managing and stuff like that, so... Yeah. You know, for me, Cornette is. You like, say glassy, and all I can think of is pencil neck geek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's about good. it. Yeah. Well, out of the ones that I know. Yeah, yeah. No. He's top three. Kim, Jim Cornette is like neck and neck with like Heenan for me personally. Mm-hmm. I'm I absolutely adore his his work. I mean, you throw Heenan, Cornette, and Paulie. Yeah, and it's Paulie is, is like incredible. If you could merge them into one, they might be the greatest ever, or they'd be the absolute worst. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all just in they're all for yeah, they're all spot. very different, but they all understand exactly what they're doing at all times. So the bodies attack before the bell with Jimmy tossing Scott to the outside before joining with Pritchard for a double vertical suplex on Rick. Scott makes his way back up to the apron, only to be knocked down again by both bodies. They then hit a double back body drop. On Rick. Scott once again tries to get to the apron, but again is knocked down. So the bodies continue the attack on Rick. When Scott is finally able to make it back in, the Steiners send the bodies into each other, followed by a Scott monkey flip to Del Rey. It's hot, baby. This is this shit is hot. And the Steiners are are selling. A double hit toss on Dr. Tom, Rick with a Steiner line on Gigolo, Scott with a belly to belly on Pritchard. Tilt-a-whirl slam on Jimmy, and the bodies roll to the outside to regroup. Once everyone makes it back into the ring, Scott and Dr. Tom lock up, only for Steiner to hit a military press slam. Del Rey comes in, only to receive a back body drop as well. Rick blocks a hip toss by Pritchard, delivers a Steiner line, a body slam on Gigolo, and again they roll outside to regroup, with Cornette yelling at the cameraman. Of course, and like, uh, who is this... Jiggle Jimmy Del Rey guy who is so incredible at selling. 
He's a new guy. Few of you agree that he's an incredible seller here, right? Yeah, he's, he's very awesome. good. Yeah, I was like, man, he's yeah. I mean, if you if you're gonna take over for Stan Lane, you, you oh, need you better to be, be fucking good. You, know, you need to be good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and you know, Cornette's not gonna put up with something that's so far less than. The crowd starts chanting, "Let's go blue." Let's go blue. Okay, I was wondering. What yeah, I was trying to figure that too. <laughs> so we got some Michigan Wolverines in the ring with the Steiner brothers. Oh yeah, but the let's go blue is just not a thing that I was like, what are they chanting here? Let's go blue. I get it. it makes complete yeah. sense. Unfortunately, I've never lived in a blue state, so I don't know those cheers. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah, good on you. Lived in Nebraska, lived yeah. in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Not only are there red states, but so are their sports colors. Atomic drops on both bodies by Scott. Tosses Jimmy to the ropes only for him to slide under him, giving Dr. Tom the opportunity to come from behind with a bulldog. And this so much energy. The slide, like, it's every, the energy is palpable. Everything feels electric here. Mm-hmm. Inseguri by Pritchard tosses Scott to the floor, where Del Rey comes off the apron with a somersault splash, <sighs> before rolling Steiner back into the ring, and Gigolo then comes off the top rope with a double axe handle. That somersault splash, I remember Goddamn. them freaking out about it. We've never seen anything like this before. Oh, yeah. He just did a moonsault. I'm like, no, it wasn't a moonsault, it was a somersault. Uh, so great. <laughs> nice job, Vince, but yeah, yeah. carry on. What a move. <laughs> Gigolo does some dancing, ducks the Steiner line, and reverses it into a DDT. The bodies then hit a combo drop toe hold knee drop and start to choke Scott. It's beautiful. Super kick from Jimmy for a two count on Scott. Dr. Tom with a back rake and starts choking him on the ropes. Where Cornette gets involved with a racket shot to the face. You know how awesome it is to have a wrestler in the ring with a surname of Doctor that I don't hate? Oh, that's so very nice. <laughs> Scott goes for the Steiner line, which looks to be reversed again by Del Rey. But this time Scott counters with a T-bone suplex. Makes the crawl to the corner only to be stopped by Pritchard. Dr. Tom telegraphs the back body drop, so Scott hits a tiger driver <sighs> and makes it to the corner for the hot tag. Rick's in with Steiner lines on both bodies, body slams, drop kick by Scott on both of them, and then a top rope bulldog by Rick on Gigolo. Yeesh. Only for Dr. Tom to make the save on the cover. Scott heads up with mounted punches in the corner, only to be thrown over the ropes to the floor, all while Jimmy goes for a crossbody, which Rick catches him to deliver a power slam. Cornette then jumps on the apron, but Rick sees him, scaring him off, only to toss his racket into the ring, where Pritchard picks it up. <sighs> Dr. Tom then cracks the racket across the back of Rick, and Del Rey makes the cover for the pin, and no, Rick kicks out. Pritchard with the knee to Scott to knock him off the apron and then goes to hold Rick up while Gigolo climbs the top rope, coming off with a moonsault, only for Scott to pull Rick away at the last second, forcing Dr. Tom to take the blow. Scott then hits a dirty-looking Frankensteiner. Rick makes the cover for the pin and And the win. Man, there's like... Feels like we blew through that match. There's... So so many things. There's a spot where uh, Del Rey does a like like toe hold like leg sweep while Scott Steiner's trying to get his like desperation hot tag. It's just like so so perfect. There, my only complaint with this is that 
there's no rules, but it's great. But it's like, well, I can't even think about the rules because there's so much going on. But like, <laughs> there's like the tag rules are wildly ignored here in a, in a in a way. Do you feel the same way? I guess I don't understand what you mean. Like, like I didn't feel like anyone was in the ring too long. Too long. Yeah, it's I don't know. It seemed a little. Maybe it was just. Uh, maybe. Uh, I just remember sitting there thinking. This is great. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely great. Good. Absolutely great. This is the Steiners that we've been missing. Yeah. yeah, and they're selling for smaller guys that are like a little bit more high flying and a little bit more agile I think and a little bit like smarter wrestlers. Familiarity with Jim Cornette that oh, yeah. amped it that much more just because, you know, it was like a, a piece of home that came to visit them. So they, you know. Had to up their game even more. Plus the fact that they were home. You also have like yeah, Tom Pritchard uh, here who went on to train plenty of people. So it's like oh, you know, he kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Not only like he was never particularly over or famous while he was wrestling, but he's a damn technician. We then go to the back, and Joe Fowler is there with Shawn Michaels and Diesel, and Michaels says. The answer to who the greatest IC champion will come across tonight. And Fowler says, Perfect caused you to lose it, and Diesel won it back for you. And Sean goes, But who's the one wearing it? Exactly. So we're headed to our third match. Shawn Michaels with Diesel versus Mr. Perfect. With the towel. For the WWF Intercontinental Championship. It bums me out here because they're like, Oh, we got... Gorilla up there on the hotline or whatever, and I'm like, but they're on but, Radio WWF. But, uh, yeah, Radio WWF. Whatever, he's right there, and I'm just like, yeah. he he's so close, but so far away. Teased us. Why isn't anybody staying in one place anymore? So the story behind this match was that Mr. Perfect would attack Lex Luger in the back after their match at WrestleMania Nine, and Sean was there and would help Lex fend off Perfect. Later on, Perfect would cost Michaels the IC title when throwing the towel at him, allowing Marty Jannetty to make a pin. Keep the feud going, and now we finally got a match between the two. Get it. But I don't know if anyone else noticed, but the champ came out first. I did. Foreshadowing. The two men are back and forth to begin when Sean is tossed the ropes, slides under Perfect, and misses a roundhouse. So Perfect goes for an atomic drop, only for Michaels to flip out. Both men start running the ropes, and they botch whatever move they were going to do, (laughs) allowing Perfect to take control. The two men start trading arm locks, head locks, head scissors, with Perfect frustrating HBK. Perfect then tosses Sean to the corner, where he goes to leap up and over the charging Perfect, but there's no one there, so he delivers a back elbow to stagger Perfect. Another toss to the corner, and this time Michaels leaps up to the top rope, flipping over the charging Perfect, allowing Perfect to come out with a clothesline for a two count. Love him coming out with the clothesline. Sean, you're smart, you're quick, but are you perfect? Perfect with another toss to the corner, charging in, but HBK escapes through the ropes, sending Perfect headfirst into the turnbuckle. Sean climbs to the top, coming off with a clothesline only for Perfect to reverse it into an arm drag takedown, followed by several more. Perfect ducks several clotheslines and then catches a drop kick from Michaels, K 
catapulting him over the ropes and to the floor. Perfect follows out when Diesel comes over, drawing the attention away from HBK, allowing Sean to hit a super kick, coming off the apron with a double axe handle, and then rolls Perfect back into the ring. I gotta give props to Sean's bump to that floor. It was wild. He was like a full foot and a half over the top rope, and he just crashed to the crashed to the mat on the outside. It was wild. Classic HBK. Mm-hmm. Heartbreak Kid's working on the back of Perfect with multiple elbow drops, hard Irish whips into turnbuckles, and a backbreaker. Perfect starts to fire up with right hands. Hits a drop kick, a back body drop, knee lift, and an inverted atomic drop to get a two count. There's a spot here where Bobby Heenan says, I hate a guy with a big mouth, and Vince Vince McMahon says, Me too, only for Bobby to say me too entirely too quickly. (laughs) It was a very cute moment. Big forearm for a near fall, and Perfect blocks a hip toss and looks for the backslide, but his back is hurt, so the two men are struggling against each other, only for Perfect to flip Sean over and hit the Perfect Plex for the pin, and no! Diesel pulls Perfect out of the ring. Oh my god. Diesel misses a clothesline, so Perfect starts laying it in with right hands, only for Michaels to come from behind with a double axe handle off the apron but Perfect turns in time to catching in the gut. Perfect rolls HBK back in the ring, which knocks the ref over, and Diesel runs Perfect right into the ring post. Mm. The bell rings, and the official announcement is Shawn Michaels by Countout. Post-match, Perfect jumps in the ring, hitting Diesel from behind with a knee, but Sean and Diesel are too much, and they leave Perfect Lane. Oh, and Miss Perfect sells it like a fucking knockout. So Sean and Diesel are walking back to the locker room when Todd Pettengill comes out and catches up with them. And Todd says, you can't be happy with the way you won. And HBK just says, all your questions about who the greatest IC champ have been answered. We then see Perfect leave the ring, and he starts running towards the back. And that is the last time... We will see him what? for about four years. Oh, my God. The run back, I was like, oh, are we going to do, like, a, another heat spot? Like, the what is it, WrestleMania 9? Like where, Luger? Yeah, yeah. It's like, are we going to get another thing? <laughs> Let's no. start another they, feud. They, like, he runs back. and they, Get like, out follow, of my way, Marty. They follow him most of the way, and then just, like, <laughs> cut to, they just cut, cut away to the next thing. What is it about SummerSlam? Why do they always just leave running up the ramp never to return for a few years? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we then go back to Joe Fowler. He's there with 123 Kid. And Kid says, I got butterflies, but I'm excited. He feels honest. He, he looks, looks like he's about to throw up. As hell, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's bigger and stronger, but I'm going to give 110%. And then Fowler gets word in his earpiece the IRS is already in the ring. Oh, so. One, two, three, runs away. Boy, is he ever. So it's time for our fourth match. Erwin R. Scheister versus the one, two, three kid. Did you know that Michigan is uh, the tax cheat city? Um, If you didn't know, IRS lets us know on the mic. Match gets going, the kid with a spinning heel kick. But Scheister uses his power to gain control, throwing one, two, three high up in the air to land face first. Ooh, that big lift pancake. 123's little song is very like proto DX kind of with like the the guitar riff. I was like, oh, all right. 
It's not very memorable. I just kind of noticed it <laughs> while it happened. IRS goes for the throw again, but the kid turns it into a drop kick for a two count. Shyster retaliates with a back elbow, tosses one, two, three over the ropes to the floor. Forearms across the chest once he's back on the apron and brings the kid back in with a slingshot. But one, two, three lands on his feet and cradles up IRS for a near fall. Another back elbow, elbow drop for a two count for Shyster. Locks on the leverage-aided ab stretch until he is caught by the ref. Yeah, it's, it just made me think of uh, when Razor did the ab stretch, and it's like, you're too big and he's too small for this. Where IRS is like, well, we're getting close. It's like the three little, or three bears thing, where it's like, we haven't quite got the just right <laughs> size guy to put the ab stretch on one, two, three yet. IRS is wearing the kid down with a chin lock, but the crowd starts firing up. So one, one two, two, three slams Shyster's head into the turnbuckle multiple times, starts delivering kicks, Irish whip, and goes to the top for the moonsault, for the pin, and no, IRS kicks out. Wasn't ready for that. One, two, three then goes for a La Magistral pin for a near fall, goes for another spinning heel kick, but Shyster catches the leg, allowing the kid to deliver an enziguri for a two count. IRS then hits the ride off. A leaping clothesline. Yeah. For the pin and, and the win. win. Wasn't ready for the IRS uh, win here. Also, what was that pin, that roll-up you called? A La Magistrale. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have heard that. Wraps the arm around the leg and then kind of does a uh, roll yeah. over the back. Mm-hmm. Very technical. Okay. Not a pin you see very often. but You see it a lot more often nowadays than yeah. you did back then. But hey guys, we got brain scan back. Oh yeah. my gosh. Heenan does a little, he basically writes out 1044 uh, while watching a replay of the write off. I think it's just a 1040. Is it 1040 or 1044? Maybe, maybe it was a 1040. It's the tax form. That's the joke. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry. Do you think Bobby Heenan was, kept up with his taxes very well? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I'm just wondering if yeah, Million Dollar Man or Razor Ramon are pissed off that IRS went out there and did what they couldn't do. Oh, yeah, they've got to be. Uh, that's why I was surprised. I did not expect IRS to win, but it was a very good match. Next in line for a title shot right here. I mean, we are like, three yeah. kid. We are Next three. Next up is Yokozuna. Three matches in, and I'm like, how? This is how, the, how, the fourth match. Oh, that was the fourth match. Okay, yes. four matches in, and I'm like, how? you guys are hitting it out of the park. Every match is at least an on-base hit. Agreed. We then go to Todd Pettengill with Bruce and Owen Hart in the crowd. And they tell us that Stu had to have surgery after an incident with Lawler. So he's not there. But they were here to support their brother. Where's Owen been? He was actually in the dark match on this show. Oh, I mean, just, you know, he did the tag with Coco. And he's had, he seemed like he started to get some... He may be the rocket, early but he didn't have the rocket strapped to it. No. no, by no means he did he, which is... Seemed, seemed like he was warming up there. High energy was pretty much dead on arrival. I'm pro I'm pro Coco. <laughs> A lot of people are, but it doesn't mean that the guy that makes the decisions was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't have him wearing checkered pants. He's supposed to be carrying a bird. <laughs> Rest in peace, Frankie. So we go to our fifth match. Brett, the Hitman Hart, versus Jerry, the King Lawler. 
And the story behind this match was that the king would beat down Brett after he won the King of the Ring tournament. And throughout the rest of the summer, Lawler would verbally assault the entire Hart family to bring us to this point. Lawler back in the day was vicious about old Helen Hart. Well, I know that, didn't they like attack Stu? Yes, that's why he attack Stu, poke fun, but what did he say about poor Helen? No, just, I mean... There, there's lots of stuff that I mean on every Lawler week went, on Monday night. Well, he would, mean. yeah, yeah, he would trash talk. Yeah, both of them. You know, they wouldn't be there all the time, but yeah, anytime he had a microphone in his hand and he was talking about Brett, he was talking about his, you know, big dumb dad and his little ugly mom, and <laughs> you know, only getting more graphic. Yeah, as graphic as he could at the time. So Brett's made it out to the ring, and then Lawler comes out, but he's on crutches. And an ice pack on his knee. Ugh. Mm. Convenient. Hitman doesn't look too impressed while Pettengill interviews Jerry in the aisle. And the king says, This was going to be the biggest night of my life. I hate your entire family, Bret Hart. I I even rented a limo from the Motor City to make it here. But nothing worked on it. And then an old lady pulled out in front of me. Causing an accident. I hobbled here on one leg... And I can beat you hard on one leg. But right before I came out here, the doctors gave me strict orders to not participate. But don't think you're getting off easy. A bunch of wrestlers came up to me and asked to come out and give you a beating. And I chose my self-appointed court jester, Doink the Clown. Oh, no. So, oh no. our actual fifth match... That's where I say, damn. You might have said, <laughs> damn. Brett, the Hitman Hart, versus Doink the Clown with Jerry the King Lawler at ringside. Send in the clown. So the clown looks to throw water on the crowd, but it's just confetti, guys, Uh-oh. so no, no worries. But then he has another bucket, which he tosses onto the Hart Brothers. But this time, it actually was water. Uh-oh. Brett comes from behind and starts attacking Doink while Owen and Bruce have also made their way to ringside, jumping over the guardrail because they're pissed off. Bruce is fighting the refs, trying to get into the ring, while Hitman is laying it in with right hands and a clothesline to send the clown to the floor. A real 360. He follows out to continue the attack with another clothesline before tossing him shoulder first into a ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Hart with a hard Irish whip charges into a big boot, only to catch it and deliver a right hand to send Doink back out to the floor. The clown's back on the apron, delivers a shoulder block, and goes up to the top rope. The hitman with a shot to the gut crotches him. Hart with a face plant, elbow drops, chokes, goes to taunt Lawler. He comes back to Doink with a headbutt before rolling to the outside to stalk after the king. Love Bobby Heenan here says that when he gets crotched, uh, he says he's been de-doinked. <laughs> Very funny. The clown then comes from behind to hit a running high knee and he takes control, slamming Brett's head on the steel steps, go, rolls him back go. in the ring, go, Brett, heading go. up top and coming go, off with Brett, a double go. axe handle. The clown with a shin breaker and begins to work on the leg, ramming it into the ring post multiple times no. before locking on an STF but he loses the grip on the leg, so he turns it into a headlock. Couldn't believe the Doink STF. 
Yeah, I, I like, wouldn't expect an that's, that's an STF. He's just not every day you see a clown. Doing <laughs> no, a, not at all. A proper wrestling move. <laughs> Running knee lift by Doink follows up with the elbow drop for a two count. The clown then with the stump puller, where he sits on the shoulders and pulls the leg forward towards him. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one way to break it. He uses leverage by holding the ropes, but the ref finally catches him to break the hold. Doink with a body slam goes up top, coming off with the whoopee cushion. But Hitman gets his knees up. Ooh. Fucking that creepy clown, clown look once he gets to the top. We still we still have, like, heel doink. And, yes. And he's great. Heel doink is the best doink. Right hands, shot to the gut, Russian leg sweep, second rope elbow drop, locks on the sharpshooter when Lawler takes his jacket off, crawls into the ring and attacks from behind with the crutch. There's got to be another doink here. The King keeps up the attack with the crutch while the refs are keeping Bruce and Owen out of the ring. Boo. Mm-hmm. Lawler then helps Doink back to the locker room when President Jack Tunney comes out from the back. There was nothing wrong with his knee. By the way, this would be the last time we see Matt Bourne, who played Doink the Clown at this uh. point, in the WWF for about 14 years. What a way to go out with this Doink performance, honestly. Yeah. Great hot-ass feud... You know, great performance thus far. Tunney then heads to Howard Finkel to make an announcement. If Lawler doesn't come back into the ring and wrestle Bret Hart, he will be banned from the WWF for life. (sighs) Hitman runs down to the aisle and attacks Jerry, forcing him back towards the ring as we get our sixth match. Brett, <laughs> the Hitman Heart, versus Jerry, the King Lawler. You thought we weren't going to get it. No, I know. I was so scared we weren't going to get it, and I could not be happier. Right hands, headbutt. Some we get kind, a new bell. I love the new bell. Some kind of bucket shot to the head before rolling the King into the ring. Brett is biting Lawler's forehead, hitting a back body drop, leg drop, headbutt into the gut, and Jerry makes his way out of the ring. Hart follows out using a crutch across the back of the king, slamming his head into the guardrail before rolling him back in, only for Lawler to roll back out the opposite side. Yeah, Brett has got the fire, and he looks just great here. Brett continues to stalk him, but Jerry grabs the crutch and stabs it into the hitman's chest and throat. And these are some incredible, like, stab shots that look really, really good. Oh, yeah. You've seen so many of these that like look fake, but these look stiff and tight. The king then heads over towards Bruce and Owen, but the camera misses it completely. But it gets them riled up once again. Of course. Lawler goes back to work on Hart's throat with a crutch, all while the ref is distracted by the brothers. Jerry then crotches Hitman on the ring post. The king grabs the crutch and brings it into the ring, hiding it from view before using it again when the ref again gets distracted by the brothers on the outside. And brothers Bre- are just fucking shit up. Yeah, and Brett's selling his exhaustion from being, like, just having a competitive match and being put in an STF, like, really well. It's like he's fighting from underneath, but, like, with passion as opposed to energy. Oh, yeah. Lawler with a head slam into a turnbuckle starts to taunt the crowd. 
Hart with a low blow mule kick on the king. Hell yes. Brett then pulls the straps of his singlet down to let everybody know he means business. Hell yes. And starts laying it in with right hands, a headbutt, back body drop, and a backbreaker for a two count. Hitman with the pile driver. Ah. A second rope elbow drop and locks on the sharpshooter for the submission and And the win. win. He really cranks it in and holds it for Mm -hmm. a while, but he cranks it in beautifully. Doing the pile driver, Jerry Lawler's. That's Jerry Lawler's uh, finisher, is it not? It always has been. So, like, oh, not only did I drop your finisher on you, I'm getting this in, I'm cranking it in, and I ain't letting it go. That's right. You talk about my mama like that. No. But as you mentioned, he just keeps that sharpshooter on. Hell yes. Not letting it go. The ring starts filling up with officials, all trying to get Brett to release it. It's truly amazing. Everyone's going wild. Faces can do heel stuff if they're provoked by a heel as good as Jerry Lawler. And Bret Hart does them probably as good or better than most. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's Bret fucking Hart. The Hart brothers then come into the ring, and they finally convince Hitman to release the hold. But the ref decides to reverse his decision. Oh my god. Awarding the match to the king by DQ due to the refusal to <sighs> release the hold. That shit is bad idea, ref. Bad <sighs> idea. I mean, kind of makes sense at this point in time, but it's still like us watching it in 2020. It's just like, oh, come on. Do you not know what you are doing? Oh, here, I love ref? this ending. So no, no, up. I love it. I love it too, but it's just like. <sighs> Frustrating. Frustrating for the right reasons. Because submitting to a submission, there's no way you can get your heat back. But this this way, way, he gets his heat back completely. No, like it totally makes sense, but it works me into a shoot, brother. That's a good thing. (laughs) Post-match, Lawler is placed on a stretcher, but the Hart brothers go berserk, attacking him before officials are finally able to roll him off to the locker room with his hand raised. Oh my God, that hand raise is pure magic. We then go to Ludwig Borga in front of a run-down building. Oh, yeah. He's just like, go to any city of any major town in in the United States and uh, go to the shitty part of town and step behind a building. That's where he is. So the last time we saw Borga, he was wrestling as Tony Halme at WCW New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Show 3, which was episode 83. Against Ron Simmons, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a big scary boy, and now he's a commie. He was the the guy that I really liked watching Simmons wrestle against because they actually Yeah, this guy has I think I remember comparing him potentially to like Brock being like this guy is big and legitimately scary looking. Him doing this accent and this angle legitimately makes him less I don't think he's doing an accent. I think that is his accent. Okay. Well, he is oh, he's, fi- he yeah. is finished. He, yeah, I do remember reading about him, and he's like some crazy, like, he was one of many wrestlers that goes into, like, right-wing politics, but he's, like, legitimately, like, deplorable, if you look up, like, his uh, history and the way people think about him in his home country. But Ludwig cuts this promo, saying, I'm going to show you all exactly why Lex Luger is going to try and win the WWF Championship. Right here in the middle of the American dream. Well, keep on dreaming, Lex Luger. 
Because if this is what you stand up for, if this is what you're proud of these crumbling buildings, oh, so this good. filth, oh my God. this pollution, and I bet the Lex Express never stopped here on its way to SummerSlam. So Lex Luger, look at this. This building is crumbling like America is crumbling. Because you American high school dropouts <laughs> are signing this country away welfare check by welfare check. My God. And you people call this the land of opportunity? Well, I'm going to take my opportunity to show all you so-called American wrestlers and Marty Jannetty tonight at SummerSlam what Ludwig Borga is all about. Incredibly well shot promo, incredibly done promo, and part of that is probably because Tony Hallmay legitimately probably feels this way. Probably. <laughs> but like the way that it's shot so incredibly well and like yeah, that was like my biggest takeaway is that it was good, but I feel like it was one of the better shot like pay-per-view promos we've seen. Absolutely. I mean, because usually they're just in the back with yeah. the, with a interviewer and this was actually a pre-taped out in the field mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and it seems like sometimes you'll see stuff like that and it's just like, "Okay, whatever." But this one because his promo is so good, they're like it you don't I think loved, about that. I loved the shot of it scrolls up or it scans up oh to the to the flag on top of the building. Yes. It was just like the perfect up up like, the up the crumbling building to yeah. the flag. It's great. So we head off to our seventh match. Marty Janetti versus Ludwig Borga. And Marty is talking smack, but then turns, allowing Borga to attack from behind, laying in with stiff shots in the corner. A clothesline, a headbutt, knees to the gut before lifting him high up in the air, punching him on his way down. That was incredible. The like drop punch thing. It's yes. like good idea, but this was pulled off way better than I would have expected and probably about as good as you're gonna get. Also, Marty comes out to a solid pop and is the match set up just because Ludwig talked shit in the promo? It's basically a let's get our new guy on the on the just on, on the, the show. card. Yeah, Marty's a good guy to go against. Yeah, definitely. A double choke lift, and there is a sign in the crowd that says "Lardvig's Hate Section." <laughs> we then get an Irish whip and charges in with an avalanche splash, only for Janetti to move, causing Ludvig to hit face first on the turnbuckle. Marty tries to get some offense going with multiple clotheslines only to be no-sold by Borga, and then clotheslines Janetti as well. More headbutts, telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Marty to attempt a sunset flip, but Ludwig stays up and punches down. Oof. Borga with a bear hug. Janetti's firing up with rights and lefts, claps the ears to escape, and goes for a body slam, but his back gives out. So Ludwig hits a clothesline, to take Marty back down to the mat. By the way, hmm? old Ludwig Borga here. The snot rockets, disgusting. <laughs> so disgusting. He's uh, healing it up with boogers. It's awful. That's how he feels about America. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> another telegraph back body drop by Borga with another sunset flip attempt. Only for Ludwig to stay up 
and punch down again. Come on, Marty, don't go to the well. But this time, Janetti moves in time, hitting multiple super kicks to phase Borga. Uh, he was just faking him out. He then comes off the top rope with a crossbody, only for Ludwig to catch him and deliver a power slam. Borga picks up Marty into the human torture rack. Oh, no. For the submission and, and the win. win. I think it's interesting that... Do you think he was doing the torture rack because he was headed towards a feud Wait, against Luger? Or that's the reason they put him into the feud with Luger? I don't know. The torture rack is like such not a face Shut move. your face. Well, he's a heel. No, uh, no, for, for Lex. Lex only did it when he was a heel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he's, I don't know what his finish is he's now. He's got the bionic elbow now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The running forearm. Yeah, definitely. I know. But it's just like, it makes sense. I see where you're coming from, and it totally tracks. It's like, Lex can't do the human torture act as a face. We then get an ad for Survivor Series with Mean Gene narration. Unfortunately, this would be the last time we hear Oakland in the WWF. For about eight years. Bummer. You know something, Mean Gene? <laughs> Aww. I'm going to miss you, brother. Yeah. One thing in that last match, I don't know why they were talking about Tatanka, but Bobby Heenan calls him an Indian. And Vince McMahon corrects him and calls him a Native, says Native, you mean Native American. And I was like, pretty wild for 93. Wow. Pretty wild for Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah. Vince and Bobby then start discussing Survivor Series, which is our next pay-per-view, and they let everyone know that it's usually on Thanksgiving night, but this year it's on Thanksgiving Eve, but we will also have the return of traditional Survivor Series matches. You guys are happy now, right? I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) I'm happy for anybody that's happy for it, but I don't need... I mean, we're not doing tag teams quite like we were when Survivor Series started, so we're not going to get, like, 20 guys on the apron. No, it's all going to be traditional four versus four Survivor Series type matches. Okay. It hadn't well, been on Thanksgiving better. for a couple of years now, right? Nope. This will be the first time. It, uh, this was the first? Okay. This will be the I first one that, that won't be on Thanksgiving couple years night. before it had already moved from it. Nope. So we then go to our eighth match. Giant Gonzalez with Harvey Whippleman versus The Undertaker in a rest in peace match. Which just is a match with The Undertaker. <laughs> Pretty much. So the story behind this match was that Wibbleman had vowed revenge against the dead man. He would bring in Gonzalez and they would leave him unconscious at WrestleMania 9 with the use of a chloroform rag. The feud intensified when Mr. Hughes would join them to beat down Taker and Paul Bearer stealing the urn. And since then, Bear had not been seen. Where's he been? They beat him up. I know, but... He doesn't have the, the urn to... To get the power back? That's right. You gotta take the power back. Because, you know, he only heals if he can do the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instead of just making that sound in the hospital. That'd just be silly. So the rules of the match, in a rest in peace match, are no DQ, no count out. So... Oh, okay. The lights go out, and when Undertaker gets to ringside, he lifts his hands to raise the lights back on. This is our first lights out for Taker? I think so. I, I thought so. I believe it is. That's Very effective. I, that's what I wrote. Very effective. I was just like, I put a question mark, because I was like, am I mis- misremembering yeah. it? I uh, popped for it. I was like, oh, yeah. 
feel like we would have remembered this. It gets fun for a while after this. I'm excited. The dead man goes right after the giant, choking away on him. Harvey jumps on the apron, distracting him away from Gonzalez, allowing the giant to take advantage with big forearms. Taker comes back with multiple clotheslines that phase Gonzalez, but the giant just knocks Undertaker back down before throwing him to the outside. Gonzalez follows out where the two men brawl on the floor before the giant throws the dead man into the steel steps, grabs a chair, and slams it over the back of Taker before throwing Undertaker into the same steps. Once back in the ring, Gonzalez continues the attack with the dead man trying to reach out to grab the urn, but he's never quite able to reach it. All of a sudden, the dong hits, and Paul Bearer comes out from the locker room with a black wreath. The Giants choking Taker while Harvey takes his jacket off, charging at Paul, only to receive a clothesline. Bearer then grabs the urn while Gonzalez clotheslines Undertaker in the ring, followed by a body slam, leaving him laying. The Giant finally sees Paul with the urn and turns his attention towards him. When Bearer raises the urn to the heavens, Taker then sits up, bong, begins to fire up with Five clotheslines to take <laughs> Gonzalez to a knee. He Just then to the knee. goes up top, coming off with a flying clothesline for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I love urn cam when Taker's crawling to the urn and you, you know, they got the urn on the right of the camera and crawl, he's crawling. It's good. I mean, you know, there is no good place for Giant Gonzalez, but the best place for Giant Gonzalez is in the ring with The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm just like, I'm not saying that this is great, but right. like... Personally, the... I think the best place for Giant Gonzalez Come, is back just... in WCW in that funky little cage match. <laughs> but just like as far as him, if he's going to be in a wrestling ring, he might as well be in there with just to be taken down by The Taker. And he has the potential of ruining The Taker's... I, I mean, I'm Everything. trying to look on the bright side. I know you are. Quit there doing no it. Bright side Why? You stand behind it. a seven-foot, seven-man. So post-match, Undertaker places the black wreath next to the giant before he poses. But once Gonzalez is up, he's upset with the Whippleman, stalking him around the ring before lifting him for a choke slam. Oh, my goodness. Didn't Whippleman, like, hit him or braid him or verbally? I'm sure he did. Yeah. Made fun of his man skin man meat costume yeah well this don't say it would be the last time we see the undertaker we ever (laughs) see giant gonzalez well i i hope he lived a happy and successful life after this but i can't say that i'm gonna miss him in the squared circle no yeah definitely not nope rest in peace giant gonzalez here and there and everywhere Mm. We then go to the back. Joe Fowler's there with Yokozuna, Jim Cornette, and Mr. Fuji. And Jim complains about the refs during the Heavenly Bodies match. But the same thing won't happen to Yokozuna. Fowler then starts listing surprises that we've had on the show. Might the next surprise be Luger taking the belt? And Cornette responds with, the biggest surprise is your employment. Ooh. Which got me to pop. Yeah. I'd have to agree with them. <laughs> you can draw all the power from the people in America and get, can give you, but it won't be enough no matter how hard you fight. And then we go to our ninth match. 
the smoking guns of Bart and Billy, and Tatanka versus Bam Bam Bigelow and the head shrinkers of Samu and Fatu with Afa and Luna Vachon in a six-man tag match. But before it all starts out, Heenan lets us know that Shawn Michaels has left, left the, the building. building. Thank you very much. <laughs> the guns that Tatanka attack to begin but are laid out by the heels, leaving the Native American and Bigelow in the ring, where Tatanka hits a flying shoulder tackle and dropkick, followed by a back body drop. The Native American and Bam Bam both go for crossbodies for the double KO, with both teams making a tag, giving us Billy and Fatu slugging it out, until a thrust kick takes Gun down. Billy hits a faceplant DDT, comes off the top with a reverse bulldog, only for Fatu to regain control with a shoulder tackle and a double headbutt by the head shrinkers. Stun Gun by Samu sends Billy out to the floor where Afa joins the fun with a kick of his own. Another thrust kick by Samu knocks Billy back towards Bart, who comes in with a crossbody for a two-count, followed by an arm-drag takedown, goes for another crossbody, but Samu just knocks him down mid-air with an elbow. Hair pull faceplant by Samu. Bam Bam with a drop kick. Fatu with a power slam for a near fall on Bart. The heels continue the quick tags, working over Bart. A double headbutt by the head shrinkers. Bigelow throws Gunn's head into another double headbutt by the head shrinkers. Oh, I mean, you know, smoking guns are really taking it here. They got yeah. hard heads, too. Oh, both hard-headed tag teams. Fatu telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Bart to face plan him. But he no-sells and delivers a clothesline to stop the momentum. Double team chops by the head shrinkers. Double back elbow from Samu and Bam Bam. Bart is then sent to the corner by Bigelow, who charges in. But Gunn moves in time, sending Bam Bam face first into the ring post, allowing Bart to make the corner for the hot tag. Tatanka with right hands on everybody, chops away on Bigelow before body slamming and DDTing him. He then goes up top for a crossbody for the near fall. Bam Bam with several shots to the gut and slams the Native American's head on the turnbuckle. But that just starts up the war dance until aye, aye, Bigelow aye. hits an insiguri to the back of the head. Samu then comes off the second rope with a diving headbutt, makes the cover, but Bart makes the save, only to receive a thrust kick from Fatu, who then receives a drop kick from Billy. Bam Bam comes in from behind to clothesline Billy over the ropes to the floor. And the heels hit an Irish whip-aided avalanche splash by Bigelow. And a triple headbutt on the Native Americans. It's getting wild over here. Everybody's getting headbutted in here. All of the heels then head up to a top turnbuckle around the ring. Man, what a visual. They then all come off for a triple swan dive headbutt. But Tatanka rolls away in time. Oh my god. The guns then hit planches on Bam Bam and Fatu on the outside, allowing the Native American to cradle up Samu for the pin and, and the win. And still Native American with an eagle feather. This was a fun six-man match. Yeah, it was much better than I thought it was going to be because I've been really high on this show. I was like, man, 
like these first like six seven matches or whatever i'm like is this the best booked wwf show we've watched and then we got to the taker gonzalez thing which was good but it doesn't hold a candle to what we've watched like it's it is good in that match or not in the same i mean it's not good but it's a taker thing so it's like i don't have a whole lot of investment with the taker or taker matches they're just like you know build up a thing beat the big guy they're pretty formulaic and then six man tag i was like all right i'm gonna eat dinner while i watch this but i enjoyed my sandwich twice as much because I had such low stakes for this after what we had watched. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, when you see a lineup of Cowboys and Indians versus Skinhead and Head Shrinkers. Yeah, yeah. You don't expect it to be And I think that, the like, greatest. yeah, the heels, I feel like, really were the, you know, the way that that uh, Bam Bam worked with the Head Shrinkers is, I feel like, what really tied this all together. Yep. Well, it also helped that the Head Shrinkers didn't work their normal pace. They worked a quick, much quicker pace yeah. than, than normal. We then go out to the Lex Express, where Joe Fowler is with the bus driver, Hank Carter. Oh my god. Hmm. Hank tells us that Lex is a fantastic guy. Great with the kids. Mm-hmm. And then Fowler tells us that he's entitled to one stupid question per pay-per-view. And he asks Carter, who's going to win? Who do you like? And Hank says he's going to go with Lex. And my response was... Well, I guess Carter is entitled to one stupid answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was abysmal and pointless because we are about to get an entirely too long package at some point where I have <laughs> like a whole page and a half of like everything that shows up on the screen. And it's like child flag, child flag, more flags, sick kid flag, Lex bus, eagle. Uh, it's wild. We then get Todd Pettengill in the crowd, and he interviews his... The USA bro with, like, the sheets on. Yeah, he has a red, white, and blue toga starting up in USA chant. And I was like, the togas were at WrestleMania, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what he's doing here. I think it's one of Todd P's, uh, like, friends Mm -hmm. from Albany or something. Probably. (laughs) Howard Finkel then introduces Kayotake Suzuki to sing the Japanese national anthem. All Please Rise. Then the Japanese national anthem. The crowd boos through the entire thing. Way to go, America. And I don't know if he's making it up or he can't sing or both. I yeah. th- think... I actually went and listened to a Japanese national anthem. It's not the same. And I don't think it was the same. Yeah, I believe you. Because I was I like, I think it I was... Don't... This guy was... He was Japanese Ad- and they just had him yeah. sing horribly to draw more heat, basically. Yes. Yes. That's how I feel. That's what I think would happen. Fink then brings out the master of ceremonies for the evening, Macho Man Randy Savage. And he's accompanied by Aaron Neville, waving an American flag. Aaron Neville. American. With an earring, his voice is, it's so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's, It's like Kermit the Frog impersonating like Christina Aguilera. It's. I mean, we all know the Neville brothers. We all know Aaron Neville, but it's one of those things where I'm like, how did he ever really get over the way that Aaron Neville did? Because it is by no means nice to listen to. I don't know. And then you throw the big thing on his face. Oh, yeah. I oh, love the one earring. I love his Canadian tuxedo. I like his look, but his voice, it's like, where's Keith Sweat? Where's, like, 
the the '90s R and B that we that people Weird. actually enjoy. It's before. It's Keith, Keith Sweat hasn't really. Oh, so he's like '94, '95. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Keith Sweat, I was working at Blockbuster, so '95, '96. Yeah, but I just could not believe. I always am so surprised with Aaron Neville's voice every time I hear it, even though I know what I'm about to give. And if you can't tell, he sings the national anthem. Oh, he sure does. As only he can. As only he can. Nobody <laughs> else could possibly do this. Actually, I'm thinking now. We've got this trivia thing. Can I make Michael sing the national <laughs> anthem like Aaron Neville? Oh, you can try. If I win? You get to choose. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I can't promise that it'll be anywhere near there, but... Yeah. I'll try. We'll have. I can't sing. Michael singing. Aaron life. Neville singing. Shawn Michaels, sexy boy. Oh wow. <laughs> My mind is Anywho, blown. Sorry. <laughs> so I just get, totally went off. Yeah, on no, you're there. you're good. So we get our tenth match: Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette versus Lex Luger for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Yoko Tuna. So the story behind this match was that Luger would body slam Yokozuna on a big old boat on the USS Intrepid on July 4th. Lex would then tour the country, getting the people behind him to challenge for the belt. The match was finally agreed upon only if Luger would agree to two stipulations. Lex would not receive a rematch if he lost, and he had to wear protective padding over the steel plate in his forearm. This sounds fair enough. The champ came out first. Foreshadowing? I mean, we're gonna find out. And the first thing I have to say is, did Luger get his outfit at American Gladiators? Oh my god. Surplus? <laughs> That's what I've got as well. He's a new real American. Hulk never even dressed like this. Just call him Jolt. <laughs> the two men stare each other down to begin when Fuji starts to sneak up into the ring. But Lex turns in time, allowing Yoko to attack from behind, which Luger moves to avoid. Not so fast, Fujisan. Back elbow phases Zuna for a moment, but he comes right back with a body slam, only for Lex to float over and try for an Okada roll, which Yokozuna holds onto the ropes to stop. Yeah, just trying to roll up Yoko would be... I still don't think Yokozuna could roll up. No, it would be fucking wild. Like, <laughs> every time we see him, he's like 50 pounds heavier. It's wild. What is this man eating? I guess the real question is, what is he not eating? <laughs> That's probably the better question. Yoko goes for the leg drop, but Luger moves to avoid mm. and starts working that leg with kicks. I feel the fall. Zuna tries to leave the ring, so Lex kicks the ropes to hurt the leg even more. Ooh, it's kind of a crotch situation. Leaping elbow drop for a two count by Luger comes off the ropes with the clothesline, only for Yokozuna to catch him with a body slam and follows up with an elbow drop of his own. But Lex moves in time. Yoko can't catch a break on these falls. He's falling too slow for the big man that he is. Luger with a head slam into a turnbuckle, Irish whip followed by a clothesline, mounted punches, but Yoko turns it around with a double throat thrust and chokes in the corner. Again, Fuji's sneaking up from behind to throw salt into Lex's eyes. No. But Luger turns in time, causing him to miss. Lex then tries for a body slam, but the weight is too much. But Zuna hits a thrust kick to knock Luger out to the floor. About time you got something off on him. Headbutt to keep Luger off the apron. Yokozuna then rolls out to the floor and chokes Lex with a part of his mawashi. 
gets an avalanche splash against the ring post, grabs a chair, and goes to hit Lex with it. But he moves, so Yoko just hits the ring post. Posted X2. Luger's firing up, rolling Zuna back into the ring, comes off the ropes with multiple double axe handles and a flying clothesline to knock Yoko Zuna down for the pin, and no, no, Yoko kicks out. Lex stays on the attack with a clothesline from behind for another near fall. The two men then clothesline each other for the double KO. Oh my god, no. Cornette climbs up to the apron, allowing Fuji to toss the salt bucket to Zuna, who uses it across the head of Luger for a two-count. Chops, back rakes, a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall by Yokozuna. And this is where Vince calls Lex a real American hero. Can you believe it? Is this the passing of the torch? Are we going to get ten years of Luger on top? Maybe. We just might. He starts choking Lex across the ropes. A back suplex for another two count. Yoko then locks on a trap hole. Oh my gosh, it's Love my favorite. Me some trap holes. I will say, if you're going to do a trap hold, the person has to have traps. Lex has incredible trapezius muscles, so at least there's that. But his trap hold could not look any worse. But Lex starts to luger up. Yeah. Elbows his way out. Lex up, Luger up. I don't know which one's better. Goes for the body slam again, only for Zuna to fall on top of him for a near fall. No. Leg drop for two, drags Lex to the corner, and comes off the ropes with the bonsai drop. But Luger moves in time. Ah, that's a lot of ass to hit the mat. Lex has his head slammed into the turnbuckle multiple times. Zuna charges into the corner for a butt splash. But Luger moves to avoid and hits the body slam. Then he knocks Fuji off the apron before pulling the pad off of his forearm. Nailing Yokozuna with the running forearm to knock him out to the floor. But Zuna is out of it and gets counted out as the bell rings. Yeah, Corny gets up on the apron and Lex punches him down. While that's happening, we get our count out. Post-match. Lex starts celebrating in the ring. Because you know he won. Mm. Macho Man, the Steiners, Got a face Tatanka, party. they all run down to celebrate with Luger. Lifting him onto their shoulders. Oh yeah, we get glitter and balloons. It's wild. Yoko's still so, champ, right? Yes. Yoko's a champ. The but belt has not changed. Yeah. And Lex I'm like, can now get a, a rematch though. Because he technically didn't lose. So he's just trying to build this to Mania? But Who knows? We get the balloons, we get the red, white, and blue, we get the face party, we get the glitter, but what do we get next, Matt? We cut to a video. Oh my god, with it's music awful. playing. Oh my god, it's awful. Very now, American. The song on the network is a different than the original song. Well, what's the original song? Because the song on the network is horrendous. The original song is a song called You're My Hero. Which, if you actually go out there to YouTube, you can find the actual clip with the original song. Anything's better than whatever this song is. <laughs> and what makes it even weirder is that the original song is a Jim Johnston song, so I don't know why they didn't, why it's not still on the network. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But it is a tribute video to Lex. For like four minutes. And his cross-country trip. 
showing shots of different places and people he visited along the way with shots of great men throughout American history. Can I give you my uh, like cliff notes? Go for it. <laughs> Moon, kids, flag, marine, JFK, MLK, George Washington, Lex Slamyoko on, bo- on boat, dessert, shots of the Lex Express, so many flags, Lex with his own kids, Lex with sick kids, horses, baseball, helicopter, sick kid, own kids, sick kid, kids, Flags, Lex fighting, Lex slamming. It's a lot of stuff. Balloons, and we're back in the ring. My God. Blank met. And like it even. Def Jam opening poetry. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, it even includes shots from the match, match we, we just wa- watched. Exactly. And I was like. Great good, moments in history right there. Great. Uh, well, my first thought was great job editing team of getting this video ready to go. This might have just quickly. been on the VHS. I don't know. But when we cut it back. It might have been. It yeah. might have been a, we, a Coliseum exclusive. We cut back and like Yoko is on the floor and like dead to rights, just covered in balloons. And he looks so pitiful. <laughs> Poor guy. But then we get sent to the back with Joe Fowler. And he's there with Luger and his friends from the ring. And Lex says, it was an honor to challenge for the title, to represent my country, when all of a sudden Ludwig Borga storms into the locker room. Oh my God. And Borga says, I'm here to tell you that I'm not impressed with you or your friends, and especially not the country you stand up for. And then we get one more shot of Luger waving the flag as Vince says goodbye. Yeah, but... What is Ludwig and Lex going to fight over? There's no title. Lex is the, all, is the American boy. I know. Ludwig hates America. I right? know. It just well, doesn't then seem... why are you questioning it's it? It's just not enough. He's going to call Lex out on all of his bullshit for however long this feud goes. Yeah. How, you know, you were not an American hero six months ago. That's my Ludwig. He's pretty good. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I ask you... What are your overall thoughts of SummerSlam 1993? Almost perfect show. I Al- can say almost. Yeah. Almost. Incredible energy for so long. And then... The Luger you, it, deflation device? The Luger deflation device. I think the six-man was good, but the, the, everything up front is so loaded. And, like, Taker's a spectacle, but that's not a great match. But everything before Taker is, like, legitimately, like, fucking perfect. It's all good. It's all engaging. It's all well-worked. All of the angles make sense. You're aware of them. And then we do the Taker thing and the six-man thing, which is good for a six-man. But you're not particularly invested because you've been invested for an hour and a half at this point. And then the Lex Yoko thing is... At this point, I'm like, well, it can't be any better than anything I've seen already. Yeah. And it's hard to get behind Lex here. I don't know why. Because it's bullshit. Because you know Lex Luger from all those years in WCW. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lex was kind of fun for a while, but I feel like it's kind of worn off. Shane? Kind of along that same lines. I mean, for the, the bulk of the show, it was as good as I remember. Oh, yeah. I was up blown until... away. Up until the the Lex Yoko match, unfortunately, which sucks because you know 
you kind of ride the ride the high, ride the wave throughout the entire thing, and then crash and burn at the end without that real feel-good feeling. Yeah, I um, think the first seven matches watch, are like 10-10, fucking two thumbs up. Like, if, the, if that was the pay-per-view, it would be like the most solid shit that I think we've watched. I mean, I feel like this is a really solid show. No, it's great. It's great. It's just so front heavy. But there, the front is, it's like three-fourths, really. There's some. There's quite a few surprises on both the good and bad side. But the work rate in many of the matches... The first seven. ...actually exceeded my expectations. Yeah. And I enjoyed the majority of the show. Yep. And you keep saying the first seven matches. I feel like the work rate in the main event... Yeah. Exceeded my expectations. I would say that it for did. Yokozuna and Lex Luger to go out and have a 17 minute match that wasn't boring. I do not like the ending. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But 17 minute Lex Luger Yokozuna match, and there wasn't that many rest holds. No, no, it keeps moving. It does. So I cannot be disappointed in that match. I'm not either. It's just one of those things where I just could not believe. What I was seeing with each match as, I mean, a, as the show not continued. liking Luger, not liking Yokozuna matches—that's one thing. Yeah, but I think knowing what my expectations for that match were and what I got, they did a great yeah. job. Finish, they did a great finish job. be damned. What they did in between those exactly. ropes was better than it should have had any right to be. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that watching the Undertaker Giant Gonzalez match, like I hated watching it, but actually reading it, like it's better doing than- it. Yeah. Talking through it here, I was like, it's actually a, the match is set up well. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. just unfortunately that it's Giant Gonzalez Who nobody cares is about. not good. No. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, like I said, it's the best thing they could have done with Giant Gonzalez is put him in there with Taker, and it could have been so much worse. This is a near it, perfect it's not, it's not as good as King of the Ring. No. But it's still really good. It, yeah, it's super close like i said those those mat those early like every match is just banger after banger that's like the right length and the right like the story is understandable and you can you can be involved in it without watching anything before this show for those first handful of matches they give you like all the information and everybody works incredibly it's a pretty wild first hour and a half and that's and then like the last three are by no means the worst or least engaging things we've come across. I just feel like it's really, to my taste, very f- front loaded. But I mean, it's not just front loaded because it's the majority of the show. So it's like you could say front loaded, but well, it's still more time than you know. It's it's over the fifty yard line. As far as being front loaded. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, what are some of your best moments of this show? Tag match. Tag match. Tag yeah. match. Yeah. Heavy tag bodies match. and Steiner Brothers. Tag match. match. Tag match. Kick and best is is a yeah. I mean, it's Heavenly really bodies, really hard. Because other than the that Frank, one's got new flavor. Other than the Frankensteiner, that match was perfect. Oh yeah. I like it's, seeing Sean and Perfect together. Yeah. I, I mean, like seeing them together, but I actually dislike that match. Yeah. Really? I like the match. 
Shyster and One Two Three Kid. I thought that was great. It was great. And then Brett Doink Lawler, like that is outside of the tag match, like that's the fucking deal right there. Razor DiBiase was also very good. Like I just couldn't believe how this just kept going. The way they did the Brett versus Lawler turned it into Doink and then added Lawler in. Like it was just an incredible centerpiece and like if I mean, Brett, it's just it's Brett doing what Brett does and that's works twice in one night for back to for back this like company. that and the way he like sell is selling his exhaustion and it's believable and like man like that is the tag match personal favorite but as far as like uh, wrestling entertainment goes I don't think it gets much better than this Lawler Brett thing that they did in this show and uh, it's like it's peak peak wrestling entertainment I feel absolutely great absolutely whereas Heavenly Bodies Steiners is peak like tag wrestling especially in the WWE one of my best moments is Bam Bam and the Head Shrinkers going for the triple swan dive headbutt oh yeah even them missing it I was still just like that is cool yeah the fact they brought that together the fact that they did the like set it up with the headbutts towards the end of the match like built to it it's weird that the guns, it feels like they're just so middling. They haven't like really pulled the trigger on them in any way that you care about the guns yet. They're just kind of there. I mean, they're still a young tag team. They're for sure. still getting their feet. Yeah, I mean, this is a good payday, like for sure. And of course, working with the head drinkers. Like, come on. How about most disappointing? I know you guys have issues with the main event. I'm not super down on it. It's just one of those things where like Lex doesn't care and even if you can't tell see i felt like lex cared did you in this match maybe it's just colored by me knowing how he i mean at know. least he showed more care than i've seen him yeah. in the last three years worth of matches that he's had or maybe it's one of those things that i just know he doesn't stick around for a long time or whatever like it felt very because i have an idea of where things go it felt very like just transition and didn't feel as big as it probably could have and then another part of that is that the belt didn't move so i was like what are you guys what are all the balloons for it's like you won i mean we all agree the ending is not good yeah i mean i knew he wasn't gonna win but yeah i thought he was gonna win the belt i mean i would have i would have rather had if they just don't do the balloons yeah, and, and everything, just and just yeah. wins the count out, and don't have the celebration. Are you okay with that then? It's it's Lex. because because I feel like Lex Lex is gonna win by a D. I always figured Lex would win by DQ yeah. or something to keep it going. But have that having that over the top celebration where everybody comes down and lifts him up because you know, yeah, you beat yeah. Yokozuna. You didn't really beat him though. Yeah. It just yeah. I mean, I think literally, I think it's the celebration and the balloons. Yeah. that's the I almost disappointing. Feel, I almost feel like it'd be, be like better if Corny, you know, hit Lex and he got pinned, and you get the rematch because of a DQ or whatever, as opposed to Lex winning by DQ. I'm not sure. It's just one of those things where I'm like, well, I feel like that this celebration is so big that like. When he wins, like, Lex, what do you, what's but left Lex to celebrate? had to win. That was the problem. Lex oh, had yeah, to win had because to win. of the stipulation. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind of a problem with the stipulation, I guess. But you got to keep upping the ante after the slam, I guess. But by no means is it bad. But my God, like, from the first match to 
Brett versus Lawler and Lawler's fist up as he gets gurneyed out is legitimately like perfect WWF content from like beginning of the show to that moment. I have zero like real complaints. I'm completely in and entertained. I mean, I'm going to be honest. My most disappointing match is Shawn Michaels and perfect. I thought it, it didn't reach the highs. You it expected. didn't reach the expectation. I mean, it's once again, like I said, my over, overall thoughts. One of the issues was, I think the expectations for that match were way up here. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't even get like half of that. Yeah, you got and it. You could, and I feel like a lot of it is perfect leaves and he goes away for four years. It's not because he wants to. It's because he is hurting. And so uh, he's not okay. able to put forth a perfect kind of match. This kind of feels like a match that would be on a on a two-match episode of Raw. Like, and this would take up, like, half of the episode or whatever. That's kind of what this feels like. It doesn't feel as much like the pay-per-view perfect Sean match that you, like, really want. Yeah. I mean, for me, again, I put... But if he's moments, that hurt, like, you know... For there's... the best moment, I put just seeing them in the ring together. But most disappointing was not getting the full HBK perfect extravaganza that you would expect. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you didn't get... Because like... of the fact that he was hurt, they couldn't build... And do anything more than just the one match. So yeah, it's a bummer that Perfect was hurt. I didn't realize it, but I was like, well, this I mean, isn't I, as spectacular. For me, as it I could, could be. see it in the ring. Yeah, he, he wasn't. He wasn't perfect in the ring. I mean, hell, you can even hear him at one point. Sean drops on him, and typically you hear a Perfect yell in the ring, but he actually yelled out, "God damn it!" Oh, I heard that, yeah. but I was, I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think about. It. I was pretty into it, but I think that I was into it just because I. Was you were on a high I was, coming off the first oh, two Oh, I was matches. on a huge high after the first two matches, so I was just like into it, and I was like, man, like, I was a, on a high for so long. They, like, kept me buzzing for, like, like a legit hour and, like, 20 minutes, which normally you'd get that six-man tag somewhere down there in between, but I just couldn't believe how solid it was. How about best performer of the night? It's, it's, you got to give it to Brad. It's Brad wrestling the two matches, and yeah. and they're two different style of matches as well. Definitely, because I mean he, he basically has you know his normal technical type match with Doink, and, and Doink being turns... as technical as like it's like oh crazy that that uh, you know it's like we all know who Doink is, but it's like oh you just don't assume Doink is as technical as he's... Doink's STF blew my mind. And then he turns around, basically has a passion fueled. Brawl yeah, match. and exhausted. You can see him, like whether he is or he, of course he's some kind of worn out, but he's selling like he just had the technical match you watched. Absolutely. Any other contenders for best performer? Heavenly, the, heavenly body. Yeah, like the <laughs> heavenly bodies. I had just to throw in there. The selling of fucking Gigolo, and the and how Chris Pritchard is, but Gigolo is the one that's his his selling his bumps like. Yeah, I'm like who who is this guy? I was like, yeah. man, like he is really fucking doing it. How about most surprising that the Steiners finally got to have a good match in the WWF? <laughs> That's a very good point. And they and they had to bring in uh Jim Cornette and some guys that can work to make it happen. Yeah. Some some uh, real ring boys that they let IRS do what they wouldn't let million dollar man. Yeah, that was surprising too. I did not think IRS <laughs> I did not think IRS was going to make the pin. But I, I definitely say that IRS is probably headed up the 
up the charts. That you had um, Savage on an, a show, but you waited until the last second to bring him out as master. I, of I was kind of surprised he wasn't on commentary. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was working the hotline or whatever with Gorilla and yeah. Jr. I know it makes me so sad when they're like Gorilla over there on the radio, and I'm like, Jr. and Gorilla are on the radio. What's going on here? Another big surprise is no more DiBiase, no more Perfect. Yeah. No more Mean Gene. I didn't yeah. know any of that watching the show, so like, I'm just like, fuck. Well, literally as soon as Joe Fowler showed up, I was like, wait a second, where's Mean Gene at? Oh yeah, he was supposed to be one of my most disappointing. Yeah, because I was like, who's he... Joe Fowler? I was like, I don't think we've seen him before. Because <laughs> here's the thing, Mean Gene, like, I would have mentioned Mean Gene on the last pay-per-view or the last WWF show we watched, but he was still under contract with WWF, so... I always knew that this was his last show under contract, or his last big show. Yeah. So I didn't even think about mentioning it last time we saw him, because I thought he showed up on this show. Yeah, yeah. And then when he like when he didn't show up and Joe Fowler was there, I was just like, oh crap. Like, yeah, Joe Fowler is uh, just a legit stick man, and Mean Gene is uh, the greatest. He is not stick. good. Yeah. Uh, why do they keep bringing those gotta... unnecessaries in? It's one of those things. Not everybody test these people I mean, out before you put them on TV. How many people have Todd held Pet- a microphone? Todd, Joe Fowler makes Todd Pettengill look good. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Todd Pettengill I think was the most annoying that he's been since he's been on WWE. I don't TV know him on WrestleMania. WrestleMania was pretty really more annoying than I think. But yeah, like you can't really compare other people to Mean Gene. Oh, like, well, Mean never, Gene is, never. Mean Gene is special. Some people are just good, and most people are fine. No, no. As far as guys that hold microphones, there's nobody better than Mean Gene. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not goodbye. It's I'll see you later. Yeah. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Oh, trivia is my favorite. Yeah, I know you're winning. <laughs> this week, the category is the champ is here. The champ is here. I will name a show and a championship, and you have to give me who the champion was at the end of the show. Okay? Gotcha. You can answer without multiple choice, five points. With multiple choice, it's three. Buzzing in. Gotcha. The show is Starcade 1989, and the championship is the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Starcade 1989. I'm going to go out on a limb and go with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. That is incorrect. All right. Starcade U.S. Championship. Does Shane increase his lead? We will, but I don't want to be greedy, so I'm going to ask for multiple choice. Aw. All right. Multiple choice. <laughs> Your options are Lex Luger. Michael P.S. Hayes, Rick Rude, or Sting? Lex Luger, Michael P.S. Hayes, Rick Rude, or Sting. Damn it. I was torn between two of those already. That's why I was waiting for multiple choice. <laughs> I'm going to say... I have a feeling I know who it's not. <laughs> yes, I know who it's not. That much I know. So we're going to go with... Lex was my first pick in my brain anyway, so... Lex Luger is your answer? Yeah. And that is 
Correct. As soon as you said Lex Luger, as soon as you were like, first answer Lex Luger, I was like, it's Lex Luger. Because uh, like I was torn between Lex and Michael P.S. Hayes because I couldn't remember when it was that Hayes got it. Did he win it from Hayes on that show? Starcade 1989, there was not a U.S. championship match oh. on the show. It was the Round Robin Iron Man match show. Yeah. So Lex Sting, Ric Flair, and... KG Muto, the Great Muda. Yeah, that's right. I knew, yeah, I knew it sure. wasn't Michael P.S. Hayes, and I was like, 89, potentially Sting, but when as soon as you said Luger, I was like, it's, it's Luger. And I was like, when did Steamboat show up? I never know when he's there. <laughs> he does show up in 89 to have that trilogy with Flair. Yeah. So I believe that gives Shane oh, I know. 31 points. Oh, my God. So he's almost doubling you up now. I know, I know. 31 to 16. Well, when he comes back, we won't call it a comeback. (laughs) I've been here for years. (laughs) Next week, Ultra Clash 1993. We're headed to the land of hardcore again. Mm -hmm. We're beating on the the bloody doors of the Paul Heyman takeover. Actually, it will be the very first Paul Heyman booked show for ECW. Alright. Oh, snap. Bloody doors getting busted open. That's right. Are we back in Philly? We will be I'm back in Philly home. again. Cat. Tables and trash cans and razor blades. Oh my. Music from this week's show is the theme from SummerSlam and Lex Luger was the winner so we will play his theme music Stars and Stripes Forever. His theme song when he came out was just like what was that? It's not Stars and Stripes Jim Johnson stars and stripes forever. Isn't that just like some old, like parade Jim song? Johnson, like, changed it up. Okay. Basically, used that as the so it's like base. we all, we all know it, and he just like put some flourishes on it or changed yeah. the key or whatever. Because I was like, I like this is a thing that already exists. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns. So we're going back to Philly. Shane could definitely use some help. Yeah, yes. Cheesesteaks be damned. Yes. Or hell, if you have an interesting take on a cheesesteak, send me that. Because, you know, it's been a while since we've had those. I can always suffer through another cheesesteak. <laughs> 40. And suffer right through. I can do a cheesesteak. Cheesecake steak? I can do cheesecakes too, but <laughs> cheesesteaks, yeah. I can do those quite often. We're going to do a cheesesteak cheesecake. There we go. That's oh, a cheese. A cheese M- maybe, cheese. maybe I might pass on that yeah. cheesecake. Yeah. Cheesesteak quiche? Fancy it up? That'd actually probably be pretty good. Yeah. Steak or you can always maybe? send any of those things on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters.